I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, recorded in the Sub-Zero Wolf Living Kitchen Studios. You heard that right. Convo by Design has a new sponsor, Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove. The Living Kitchen Studio will be recording from the studios in Los Angeles and surrounding areas, bringing you the stories of amazing design and architecture. Speaking of which, this week we have a great conversation from the Convo by Design stage at the West Edge Design Fair. You might recall that the stage was designed by Julia Wong, featuring a -a one-of-a-kind CXD media desk, now available to designers who are looking to design a -a one-of-a-kind space for podcasters, broadcasters, YouTubers, or the home office. If you're interested to spec one for your clients, please send an email to convobydesign at outlook.com and uh, we'll get you the information. So this conversation called Silicon Beach Design Hub of Innovation is just that, a deep dive into the tech community, the design taking place and how that's affecting LA's vibrant design and architecture scene as a whole. The coastal cities of Los Angeles, dubbed Silicon Beach, have become home to burgeoning tech startups and giants alike. The demand for office space and housing has grown considerably. Techies don't want to live and work or play like everyone else. Their approach to their surroundings 24-7 mirrors their company philosophies, in many cases, in which innovation is key. Thus, many turn to architects and designers who are breaking the mold in their own fields to create spaces, including restaurants, offices, and homes that are simply beyond smart. This conversation is moderated by Jerry Levy, publisher of Form Magazine, and features architects Joe Spearer, Anthony Poon, uh, designer Chris Barrett, and Christopher Koldoff, studio director and principal at Gensler. Also of note, this is the relaunch of Form Magazine, uh, Form Pioneering Design. The magazine is back with a fresh approach to the art and ideas behind, around, and surrounding the architecture of Los Angeles. I'm proud to be a contributing editor to the magazine and thrilled for Jerry in this endeavor. Welcome back, Forum. Convo by Design is presented by Snyder Diamond, a family-owned company serving the design and architecture community for 70 years now. They provide superior service and innovative, world-class products to create an amazing shopping experience. Products like the full line of appliances from Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove. They too have been providing moments worth savoring for over 70 years because Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove appliances embody passion, dedication, and a commitment to the designers and architects who create dream kitchens for their clients. Your clients are demanding innovation, the latest in technological advances, and exquisite design, and Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove appliances deliver. This is their commitment, and they deliver on this by setting their sights higher and focusing on what demanding consumers are looking for now and what they're going to be looking for in the future. A family of products whose stunning good looks matches their commitment to quality and performance. From Sub-Zero food and wine preservation, Wolf precision cooking, and now Cove dishwashing capabilities, all styled to blend seamlessly into any design you can create. If that weren't enough, you can find some amazing offers and rebates. You can find the full line at Snyder Diamond Showrooms. You can also visit the Sub-Zero Wolf Cove Living Kitchens in the Santa Monica and Pasadena Showrooms and see for yourself. So thank you for joining us today for our panel. It is called 
Silicon Beach, the design hub of innovation. So I think we are all curious to hear about how experts work with high tech and design. Uh, we have a very distinguished panel today, and I think the best way to introduce them is with a question. So we're gonna start with Anthony Poon of Poon Design. Anthony Poon is an award-winning architect with top industry credentials spanning three decades. His Los Angeles-based company, Poon Design Inc., a multidisciplinary architecture studio serving national and international clients, has completed over 300 residential, commercial, religious, educational, and cultural projects. Anthony is also an interior designer, a graphic designer, artist, and musician. Published in 2017, Anthony's book, Sticks and Stones, Steel and Glass, One Architect's Journey, has received critical acclaim. So, Anthony, tell us about your work in Silicon Beach. I know you design many restaurants. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks for that generous introduction. Um, our work focuses on public spaces. So whether it's a restaurant, a school, a recreational project, we believe in, in creating what we're calling community living rooms. And the reason for doing that is we want to counter the isolation that's coming through technology. Mm -hmm. As we're all focused on our iPhones and our Instagram pages, we want to create architectural spaces that bring people back together. All right, next is Christopher Koldoff with Gensler. Chris brings 26 years of experience to the design of innovative workplace environments. A principal at Gensler's Los Angeles office, Chris is particularly adept at translating a client's vision into unique and effective spaces that align with operational and organizational goals. Committed to advancing the profession, Chris is a member and past president of the Board of Directors for the Southern California Chapter of the International Interior Design Association. His work has received numerous awards and he is a frequent contributor to publications and local industry discussions on the subject of workplace strategy and innovation. He ver his varied client list includes Hulu, NBC, Honey, HBO, Microsoft, and Live Nation Entertainment. So, what are the hot design amenities that one of these media moguls uses to draw in uh, great work? How do they recruit? Well, you know, one of the things that, that right now, especially with how, with how busy the industry is, just across the board, is that um, a lot of these companies really are looking at their workplace environment as a place that, as a tool that can really be part of their recruitment. Um, and, you know, if you think about the way that people work and the idea of kind of this, this notion of live, work, and play, and, and the idea that, you know, um, you know work-life balance is really not anymore about work being over here and life being over there, it's really all kind of intertwined. The type of amenities that people are looking for and that, that these companies are providing are really things that are all around, um, you know, that kind of mix of work and life. So anything around food, you know, full service cafeterias or kitchens mm. or restaurants or cafes, anything around, you know, really great coffee. Um, a lot of these companies have beer taps and bars after hours. A lot of these companies have beer taps and bars during hours like we've got going on over here. 
Um, so it's really, it's anything that can really help to differentiate those companies because they really are competing for the best and the brightest in the industry. Okay. And Joe Spear with Joseph Spear Architects. The Southern California coastal cities from Venice to Manhattan Beach have become home to hundreds of companies in the transformational tech industry. And Joe Spear is fast becoming the go-to architect for many of its residents. It is for these Silicon Beach homeowners and investors that Joe is creating some of the most striking tech-smart coastal residences from urban modern to Cape Cod traditional. Joe received his on-the-job training at Los Angeles and Redondo Beach architecture firms before opening up his own practice in the South Bay. He approaches each project thoughtfully and creatively, bringing out the best in both ground-up construction and adaptive reuse. So, Joe, your practice is located in Redondo Beach. You've actually seen firsthand and participated and the development of that area. Uh, can you tell us a couple of the most striking changes that you've seen? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> what I'd say is, uh, you know, especially in the South Bay, you know, Redondo Beach is where our office is and a lot of our work takes place in uh, Palos Verdes, the different cities in Palos Verdes, and also uh, Hermosa, Manhattan Beach, and we kind of even venture out through the greater Los Angeles area. Um, but what I'd say, one of the most striking differences with the beach cities in particular would be um, the move from more traditional architecture to more contemporary architecture. And it, it's been somewhat swift, which is, it's kind of interesting. And I, I think part of it has to do with the influence from popular media and anytime anything is really cool, it's uh, contemporary or it's modern. Um, and so a lot of our clients are now approaching us more for contemporary and modern architecture than they have been for the more traditional architecture. I'd say, you know, if 30% uh, of our architecture used to be um, uh, contemporary, now it's uh, more like 60, 65% of our architecture. Thank you. Uh, come to Chris Barrett of Chris Barrett Design. Known for her portfolio of custom resi residences and estates, Chris Barrett's unique vision has well been matched to the varied lifestyles of her clientele. Her work has included a Spanish colonial residence in Santa Monica, California, a villa in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, and a farmhouse in Utah. Additionally, she has taken on a wide range of commercial assignments, including the acclaimed Comsa restaurant in West Hollywood and Hotel Oceana in Santa Monica. In addition to her interior projects, Chris has introduced Chris Barrett Textiles, an exciting collection of fabrics for both indoor and out, fresh, inviting, and with a uniquely West Coast point of view. Also, she has introduced an online shop, Chris Barrett Curated, that offers vintage furniture, pillows, tableware, and much more. Chris is currently developing a custom line of rugs for a highly regarded rug company. She is a former president of the board of the Institute of Classical Architecture and Arts in Southern California, where she served from its inception for eight years. So looking at your work, we're seeing earthy, comfortable, cozy, and yet you're designing for people who come from environments with hard, slick, modern textures. 
So what kind of materials are they asking of you in their homes? Uh, I think mostly if someone is hiring me, they're asking for something that's approachable, that's not off-putting. They want a feeling in their home that is, well, not necessarily just a home, even if someone hires me for a restaurant or a hotel. They want something unique and they want something that everybody will feel welcome in. So I try to work with good color and it's obviously depending on the client and the environment, but color and texture, it's not necessarily barn wood and marble. I feel like that's kind of over. It's mm -hmm. been so used and shiplap, which is very nice, um, but it's been done on HGTV <laughs> a lot. Uh, so I think for me, I, they want something unique. They want a home that feels like them, that, or maybe better yet, the, the best them. Something that people will look at and can see that it is their home and not somebody came in and did it. Yeah. That's it. So Anthony, uh, Joe has been talking about that shift from traditional to contemporary. For you as a residential and commercial architect, uh, do you feel it's important to cater to the, to the tastes of the tech-savvy professional and when designing new structures? That's an interesting question. Um, we find that there are two clients that fall into this group. One is high-tech, the other one we're calling high-touch. The high-tech is uh, the, the kind I think we all think about. They're the ones who have a smart home, they're driving home, they can use their phone to turn on their microwave, get the uh, alarm shut off, get the garage door open. We're finding a lot of clients actually reacting against that, and, and that's where we're saying it's high-touch. They, they actually want to feel their spaces. They want to know they can go in and not worry so much about programming their light settings, but just want an on-off switch. Um, a lot of clients are getting almost overwhelmed. You've heard the phrase digital fatigue. I think they're, they're reacting against that. So it's not so much modern design versus traditional design. It's more how much tech can we have in a project, whether it's a house or a school or a church. How much tech can we have before it becomes not a benefit, but actually something that, that makes our clients weary. Well, and Anthony, that's a, I'm yeah. assuming this is a conversation, yeah, yeah. right? So, hey, yeah. don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I agree completely. I think, you know, uh, what we're finding with our, our residential clients is, you know, there's been kind of this trend towards extreme technology, right? And, you, you know, the, the thing that gets publicized the most are kind of the out-of-the-box kind of unique things. Like, you were talking about the um, the microwave that you can turn on from your from your car, right? I mean, absolutely, there are things like that. But now the dust is really starting to settle, and I think people are realizing that they don't uh, they don't necessarily want all of that uh, kind of they don't want all of the choice and all of the different you know uh, all the different settings, and they want simplicity, you know. So I think when everything kind of shakes out, things like I, one of the benefits to technology is, um, let's say, when we have a bank of light, light switches. You might have, um, you know, 15 light switches in a row if you have kind of a, a, a large home that, where you want some versatility. You know, the, the simplicity would putting them would be instead of having this this large bank of switches, 
putting them into kind of a neat kind of tucked row, right? And, um, you know, things like that that are just very simple and uh, kind of streamlined that use the technology but don't necessarily, uh, they don't necessarily scream technology when you're, um, when you're using them. Yeah. I've had a client who was so frustrated with her system that she took her iPad and threw it in the pool. <laughs> she, it, there's some people who just can't handle it. It's too much. And I think we overdid it for a long time, and now it's back to simplifying. Coming back to where it should be. It is, yeah. It's using it, but not to excess. So, Chris, if you have so many high-tech gadgets incorporated still in your environment, which is a comfy, relaxing, welcoming environment, how do you hide that, or do you hide it? Yes. I mean, most of our clients, uh, our projects are ground-up projects, so it's very easy to integrate it into the home when you have really great architecture and contractors. If it's a remodel, it's a little bit more challenging, but now things are mo there's a lot of wireless technology, so we try to use that as much as possible. There's, if we have a computer that has to be plugged in and at a desk, we put a panel under the desk and with a touch latch so you can get to the cords, but you don't see the cords. And mostly, you know, simplifying, but in iPads, not like that particular client, uh, but it's, it's pretty easy now, I think. So, Chris Koldoff. So, over yeah. the past uh, few years, uh, with everything changing so much, uh, are you seeing uh, changing needs of the workers in, in these offices? I mean, you're talking about highly moving technology, and are the workers kind of making changes as that technology changes in the workplace? Yeah, so I, I think there's probably two parts of that. One of them is, is directly about technology and just the, you know, the idea that when, so when people are going to work who are tech people or media people or anything, that's really where they want to have like the absolute utmost, you know, latest thing. That's where they're, you know, they're creating content or they're, you know, they're recording music or they're doing all kinds of things so they really need all that, that, that stuff. Um, the challenge is, from a design standpoint, is how do you design for flexibility? How do you just, how do you try to future-proof that kind of technology if you're designing an office building that is not actually going to be inhabited for a year or two after the design process? How do you, you know, how do you anticipate what is unanticipatable in terms of new technology? So that's one of the challenges, I think, of, of designing for um, companies that are kind of on the edge. Um, and then the other part of it, I think, is exactly what these guys are saying: is that then, okay, so I go to work and I've got all the latest stuff there. You know, either when I go home or I go other places, are there places where I can turn that off? So one of the things we're seeing is that we're actually creating spaces within the office environment that really is absolutely zero um, input. You know, you 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 go in there, you kind of turn off. You can't. It's a quiet zone. You can't really talk. You can't have your phone. And it's really just places for people to kind of just um, unplug for a couple minutes to to um, be able to kind of refresh and go back and do it again. It's, it's oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, so, it's so interesting because, you know, you have, uh, I have a, a client who's the, the CEO of a big tech company, right? And he, um, he has to be one of the most tech-savvy millennials that I've ever met. And his home is so simple. He wants, he wants almost none of it. He has a, um, a young daughter 
he doesn't want to have uh, even a television in her room, and she's you know they say they're, they're, I don't want I don't want any special capability to make it so that she can use technology more more than she needs to. And the same thing for them, you know, they just want things to work properly, but they don't want to they don't want to be kind of uh, inundated with technology. So. And we're now getting requests for at least one room in a house where there are no technological advances. And we're getting a request for libraries with real books, uh, which is for a what, while. What's a library? I know. <laughs> for a while there was nothing. And now we, we, it's, it's nice to be able to create a space that, that feels like home. And, and people need it. Jerry, you mentioned things changing quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I think what we're talking about is the pace of design versus the pace of technology. And uh, we know that in design and architecture, it's a very slow process. You go through multiple client meetings, you go through construction documents, you go through permitting, and then there's the whole construction phase. And to design a building can take years, three years, five years, sometimes 10 years. By the time we're done, we're already so outdated with technology that's changing overnight. You mentioned library. Um, we did a house a few years ago, and our client wanted to design a beautiful, classical walnut library that he could use as an office and what he was calling a, a document signing room, because he was a developer. During those few years, out came an invention called the, the iPad. And following that was DocuSign. And he realized there was no purpose for this room that we had fetishized and over-designed for years, and we've turned it into a bar since. But yeah. again, it's yeah. that same thing. How, how quickly can we design? It's the same thing with, with cars. Cars take so long to design and build that by the time they come out, we're complaining why they can't Bluetooth properly to our phone. It's because the, it takes too long and technology can, can change on a dime and happen overnight. I can't get my phone to connect to my car. It never works. You have to take it to the dealer and make them do it for you. But I think, that, but you know, but Chris, you know, what you were saying about like this idea of like this this warm kind of, you know, the library and like just sort of this, you know, really comfortable kind. Of, I mean, it's almost like what we're sitting on up here, right? We see so much of that now in terms of the tech and media clients, especially on the west side, that are really looking for, you know, you know, it's not slick, you know, most for most of them. You know, every every company is different, but we're doing so much that's like really, really residentially in, inspired, really hospitality inspired, comfortable places, books knickknacks, shelving, you know, photographs, vinyl, records kind of stuff. So the, um, the merging of like, you know, the, the work environment and the residential environment is really, really interesting and, it's, and yeah, it's fun right now too. That's the trend, isn't it? I mean, with all like the, the Google style atmosphere where you have the bean bags everywhere and it feels almost like a living room. I could never work there. I cannot sit in a bean bag. <laughs> I, I actually think those kind of office corporate spaces are becoming cliche. We, we, I agree. we did work with PayPal and eBay, high-tech company, looking for uh, what the future is for the workplace. And they, they said to do a deep dive research. And, and what we did was kind of prove that these office spaces are superficial. They don't work. People don't have conference room meetings and all of a sudden pull out a table and play ping pong. <laughs> People don't skateboard from one desk to another. The beanbags look yeah. great in the photographs. but. CEOs aren't taking you know, partners and having a meeting in beanbag chairs. They, they still need to feel like they're important and sit at a, at a proper none, table. None of my architects are playing ping pong during the workday. <laughs> yeah. 
So Chris, you know, this goes to the use of space. And we're talking about co-working space as a, opposed to traditional space. Uh, are you seeing that that is changing productivity? Uh, or did we get oversold on these kind of public areas that we were supposed to be working in? Uh, do you see a change in that? Yeah, the evolution of co-working is really interesting because probably five or seven years ago, nobody in this room even knew what that word meant, right? I had no idea. And it, it's, well, I'm sure there were some of you who knew what it meant. I didn't know what it <laughs> meant. But, you know, it was this, this idea of, you know, how can we create places where like-minded, creative, tech kind of people can, you know, work next to each other and kind of really, you know, riff off of each other and, and share ideas and, and innovate? And, and that has grown into really a, a way of working. So there's, there certainly, are, there certainly are, are business models out there that we're all familiar with where you can go rent space in a large co-working kind of thing. Um, when we talk about co-working within a company, you know, really what we're talking about is, is, again, places where people from different departments or different, you know, lines of work or different expertise can kind of be together, work next to each other, and, you know, have those sort of serendipitous um, collisions that really spark innovation. Yeah. So Anthony, uh, you know, the, going back to space, uh, you've designed so many restaurants in your public spaces. Do you think that these restaurants help define those spaces? Define the public spaces? The space? public spaces. Uh, of course. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> I mean, the, the point I was, was making is that um, I feel that, that society is getting more and more detached daily, um, and, and it is the architect and designer's job to, to find ways to pull it back together. And whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a movie theater, whether we're designing a public plaza, these are ways for us to get back together uh, without the need of, of technology. So do you see uh, restaurants as theater? Yes, that's a great, a great metaphor. I think a lot of us go to theaters because um, we like to, to be connected. You can see a movie at home on Netflix, but sometimes we want to be in the theater and be around people and see a comedy and laugh together. I think when you go to a restaurant, part of the experience is to have a great meal. Part of it is people watching. Yeah, part of it is yeah, feeling connected yeah. and even chit-chatting with a, with a waiter for, for a few minutes before you order. When we design restaurants, we think of them as public spaces, as social spaces, and not just a place where you have a table, a chair, and someone brings you food. Well, and, and that's a trend for all of architecture, too, you know? I mean, basically, you know, with a, with, when we're designing a home now, nobody says, I want closed off spaces that have only one purpose, right? right? Mm. That's never a request that we get. Um, but if you look at homes from, you know, uh, early 1900s, mid 1900s, and even late 1900s, you see lots and lots of closed off spaces and not as much community and not as much versatility. You have, I mean, heck, even, even the dining room is, is almost going out the window, right? So, um, uh, so I think it kind of translates to all of architecture. Well, if you watch any episode of HGTV or any of those kind of flipping homes, the first thing they recommend is taking out walls and, and creating an open floor plan. Sometimes to the detriment of the house. Yes but usually good. So Chris Barrett, yes. uh, you, I have heard that you have a rare talent 
for incorporating soul into all of your projects. So I want to cool. know what soul is. I, I can vouch for that. Um, it's intangible. It's something I really, really feel strongly, whether it's a very modern interior or a, a more traditional, although I don't do typically very traditional interiors, that you have to bring something with age into it and not just me. <laughs> uh, you, you need to bring a, a, vintage, pea, a vintage light fixture, mm. a, an antique table, and it grounds the space, it gives it soul, and it could be, I mean, it's so easy now in a modern space to integrate a mid-century modern piece, and it just, it, it gives it something that all new furniture just can't do. Mm. I didn't know I, I was known for it. Cool, thanks. So, so Joe, have you ever heard of soul? Have I, uh, do you have a soul? Do I have a soul? Yeah. Is that your do question? Your projects have soul? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think they have to. I mean, I, I think that you know, you, you, your architecture can't just be a one-trick pony. You know, mm -hmm. you, they have to, they have to have warmth and depth, and they they have to function, and they have to uh, impress. They have to surprise. Uh, mm -hmm. They have to. I mean, you know, they really have to do quite a bit more than I think they than they than they used to need to do. And in order to in order to really kind of make someone's mood improve or change throughout. Uh, the course of uh, moving through their architecture, I think mm -hmm. that um, all of that has to be taken into consideration. I was going to say, you know, I think at the end of the day it comes down to authenticity and what um, Anthony, you were saying about ping pong tables and stuff like that. You know, there are there are companies out there who, I mean, I have a company who, who I've worked with for many years and at the, sort of at the heart of their culture is this idea of you know a ping pong table in the founder's garage, right? So for them, the ping pong table is actually something that is an authentic piece of their history. And as we've moved them to larger and larger facilities, we always want to make sure that we have that protected. The 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 thing you're talking about is you know just okay because we think it's hip and cool. Architects and designers are like plunking in you know pool tables and foosball tables and all this other business and being big chairs that nobody over the age of 18 wants to sit in. You know, just because it's just because they kind of look cool, and I think that I agree with you guys. We are well past that phase. It really mm -hmm. is about what works for the individual. It's really you know all about the people and understanding that you know one size does not fit, fit all. What works for you might be different works for you. It might be work, work, different from works for me. Um, and but at the end of the day, it comes down to that authenticity. And to go back to sort of my opening comment about you know what what is at the root of attracting and retaining really, really great people. It, people, are, people are attracted to, to an environment and a company that is authentic and that they're, the environment that they're gonna work with is, is a clear expression of, of who they are, you know, wh what their soul is about as yeah. a company. I kinda wanna put together this idea of soul and, and workplace. Um, I think it's thought of that maybe soul is the opposite of technology, as if technology is soulless. Um, also, uh, in a workplace, since we work with religious clients, the, the work that they're doing isn't necessarily a corporate setting. Uh, it, it's, it may be something spiritual. Um, what I'm getting at is, is we do work for, for Buddhist monks. So the workplace would be a temple. And they're there to meditate, to, to be spiritual, to lead, to commune. Um, and, and it's ironic to me sometimes when we leave that session, this high lama grabs his phone and checks his, his emails. 
And and point is, I think we have to really admit that, of course, we're adding soul into our projects. And we can't avoid technology. We have to find ways in which we can do both at the same time and, and be successful and have them represented equally. That's true. Technology isn't the enemy at all, right? Technology is incredibly important in what we do, and it, but, it, but it, it's also been important for thousands of years. It, it's not just recently that technology has been important. It's been important to architecture for, uh, you know, as long as architecture has been around. It's, it's only recently that it's happened so quickly that I think even architects can't keep up with it. And so we're still all just trying to figure out how it all kind of plays in and how it all makes sense. And, and you know, like I was mentioning earlier, the dust eventually does settle and eventually you're left with the core of what's really important about the technology. Well, it's, it's a tool. It's, it's one of many tools. And if you look at the way we've all designed, uh, there are times when you want to use a computer and you want to create a, a photorealistic rendering. There's times when you want to pick up a pencil and draw on a piece of paper by hand. And those tools are, are all of ours to use. And it, technology is just one of these many tools in our, in our uh, bag of tricks. It's such a good point. I mean, even, even in our office, we, we use a software called uh, Revit, which I know you guys are all familiar with here. It's, um, it's uh, you know, a 3D software that, um, you know, where you're actually building the building inside of the computer in three dimensions, every component is there. And yet, we all start by hand drawing. We all start by taking out our pencil or our pen and just sketching some little doodles to kind of come up with the concept. So it ends up being a pairing of technology and, and the old ways. I think I have to also say that not all architects design with soul. And that if you want a really good home or office building, restaurant, hotel, you need to do your homework and connect with the right people and make sure you understand you know what you're getting because not everyone is as good as these guys. But a lot of them are, of course, but no offense to anyone who's an architect. Well, only us. It's just, just the four of us. Up there. Only hire so, Joe, uh, have you ever, now that we are changing more into a contemporary environment, are you seeing misperceptions, uh, possibly from your clients or even other builders? Uh, you know, you're making the changes. Are you getting any kind of pushback on that? From contemporary architecture? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like a, a client, you present a client with something that they frankly requested, and then you give it to them. Oh, so that's a good point. So I think one of the common misconceptions about contemporary architecture is that it's a style. And contemporary architecture mm -hmm. is not a style, it's a way of thinking, right? When you think of like um, Cape Cod or Plantation or Tuscan or Mediterranean, you know, all of those are styles, and you need to follow kind of the the pillars of that style. You know, you, the columns can have to be a, a certain uh, proportion and distance away from one another, and you can only have certain uh, heights and widths with that particular traditional style. Whereas with contemporary architecture, it is really just a, a way of thinking that means new. It just means we're coming up with something that's a little bit out of the box, something that's unique and interesting, and, and uh, we may not know exactly what it ends up being. We tend not to like to have our clients surprised but when we, when we uh, present our architecture to them. So we, we do a lot of research with them and, and a lot of you know, looking at different images and, and coming up with different design sketches and things to make sure that we don't have that element of surprise. 
Um, but you're right, contemporary architecture is so broad that, and there's so many ways to accomplish contemporary um, that you, you necessarily, I mean, you can come up with, there are lots of different ways, so. And I don't know if you guys have experienced similar. Well, it, it's interesting. You mentioned clients in this conversation, and, and I thought what you were getting at, uh, which you'll, you'll probably acknowledge perhaps, our clients see technology um, sometimes in a, in a mythical way. They think that architects with technology can design a house faster, that it can be built mm -hmm. faster, that they could make a change and say, why can't I see that Monday at 5 o'clock? Um, and again, technology is a tool. And I think it's kind of a misleading thing that all of a sudden it makes us uh, error-free and, and super efficient. Super, and, and I think I, I agree completely. And, and, and cheaper. A, and, and a way, <laughs> yeah. I mean, a way to, to kind of to, to make an analogy would be with, with your smartphone, right? I mean, everyone, uh, you know, before the smartphone, um, they said, you know, they said, well, wouldn't there, isn't there a, a way where I can respond, uh, you know, to, to mail more quickly or, and, and then all of a sudden we have, you know, and I'll, I'll be, I'll, as soon as I'm able to, oh, this email, it's going to revolutionize the way that I, I do business. But the reality is it's just raised expectations, right? So mm -hmm. now, now we have to uh, send out uh, 300 emails a day and uh, it's no longer, it no longer is when somebody sends you a letter that you have two weeks to respond to it. It's now, you know, if you get the email at midnight, they, wanted a, they want a response at 12.01. So, um, so, you know, there's, there's that element. And that has so much to do with what, you know, what a lot of us do every day for our, you know, not, not, not so much those of us who are architects and, interior, and designers, but people who are in the tech world, in the media world, I mean, their work is so iterative and so quick and the technology is so good that, you know, they expect, you know, a, another version of that scene or that content or that, um, you know, that algorithm or whatever within, you know, within hours. And so that they then expect us to be turning around the same kind of thing. And, you know, technology is this thing that, that yes, it, it, it does help us and it does help us especially visualize 3D and it does help us kind of put things together. Um, it's also can be, a little bit of a crutch and it can be actually it can hide um, things that are you know not particularly well worked out behind the scenes and, and and those are the types of things that as leaders of our firms we need to make sure that we're educating the younger generation that they really understand how you're putting a building together and they're not just pushing buttons and making something look pretty so right, right. Anthony so kind of going to that uh, since there are so many tech-savvy clients who are making these assumptions, does that actually change your design? I mean, do you plow past that? Or in a way, or is this more of a, becomes more of a collaborative effort? Well, I don't want to make it sound too aggressive, but a lot of times we do plow past that. Yeah. Um, our clients are hiring us because we are the experts. We are the ones who are trained, educated. Our job is to listen to them and, and create a hierarchy of ideas and, and create a vision for them that they may not be aware of themselves. If they're coming to us with a technological bent, that's great, that's their background, but we want to educate them in all the other aspects that, that create a successful building. After we do that, that is where collaboration comes through. Mm -hmm. um, 
we get clients that, that say, you know, I want a traditional home, and when they're showing us pictures, they're actually very modern or very contemporary, and we realize we can't just listen to the words. We have to kind of read between the lines and decipher and sort of read the tea leaves of, of what their project could be. So, okay. <laughs> so, Chris, cold off. You know, we're talking about all these innovations in Silicon Beach. I mean, this is just a, a pressure cooker of innovation. Are you seeing some of that innovation now trickling out into the real world? Into the real world, right? Beyond, <laughs> beyond, this, beyond this 99 degree tent, right? Um, you know, there, there is, so I'll go back to authenticity. There is, there is a thing about the West Side, Santa Monica, Venice, Playa, you know, that is, that is so much about a vibe and is so much about a lifestyle that it's the kind of thing that it's really hard to transport. And it's, and it's, it's one of those things that keeps companies um, over here. It keeps companies trying to find spaces over here. Uh, it's the beach. It's the, it's the, it's the actual 365-day-a-year indoor-outdoor lifestyle, right? Um, and it's everything that we love about Southern California, and it's all 10 degrees cooler over here, which is great. Um, the reality is there's only so much space over here, right? The reality is it's, it's really hard for people to get here. Um, mm -hmm. Traffic is awful coming over to the west side if you don't live on the west side, right? Um, the real estate is very expensive. And we sort of have run out of these really cool, you know, um, boat trust warehouse spaces that um, originally everyone was kind of converting into creative office. And so what, we've, what we now are doing is we are looking to ways that we can create buildings and experiences and environments that, you know, not necessarily directly mimic those types of warehouse spaces, but that really create places that feel like um, a much more sort of welcoming, eclectic, residential-inspired kind of campus. That's happening over here, it's happening in Culver, and it is happening, starting to happen downtown as well. So you've got a number of buildings, like in the Arts District, in the Central Core, you've got these really old office buildings or factories or stuff like that that are all kind of being converted to creative office, which is really exciting. But you also have some of the classic 60s and 70s high-rise buildings downtown where they're actually are, they're going in, the landlords are realizing that in order, to, in order to attract the Googles of the world and the Hulus of the world and the, um, you know, those types of clients or those types of uh, tenants, they really need to be doing something. So they're carving into their buildings. They're, they're creating outdoor spaces and spaces that were are previously you know, indoor spaces and just kind of um, you know, what we call is kind of hacking the building to re reposition it, because you're not going to take, you know, you've got a 100-story office building. You know, it's not like you're going to take it down and build something new. But they're really hacking it to, to create new types of spaces that will help to attract people um, who, are who would otherwise be looking over here on the west side. So I think we can take away that essentially Silicon Beach is starting to creep into everybody's daily lives, of which I think is very exciting. So uh, we can open this up now to question answer. Does anybody got a question? <laughs> How are Silicon Beach millennials any different than any other client that you have? I mean, I'm not a Silicon Beach millennial, but I'm well aware of technology. Um, so how would you quantify them as being different than any other client you have? So um, I do get this, I get this question a lot because um, you know, from everyone else's point of view, millennials seem to think quite a bit differently than uh, the rest of kind of the, the workforce. Millennials seem to, and we, and we get a lot of millennial clients, so a lot of them do want 
you know, new homes now. And originally it was going to be, oh, they were never going to buy a house. They were never going to uh, want to design anything for them to, to live in themselves. They were always going to kind of live, live life freely. And, and now they're actually starting to settle down. So, um, you know, one of the things that I think they're looking for is versatility, right? So you have... Um, and even more so, and this has been the trend for years, but even more so with with millennials, they want to be able to kind of uh, take one space and and transition it to another. They want to be able to have their their living space also be a place where they can where they can eat, and they want their uh, you know um, their even their bedroom. They want to be able to work in their bedroom, and they kind of want every different space that they have to be. Uh, not just one type of space, but multiple uses. So, um, you know, and and easy access. They want to be able to, um, you know, take uh, uh, in a moment's notice, change from uh, from one space to another, and at, at the same time have everything kind of drawn together. So, wrapping up. Thank you. Uh, one last question for me. So. In five years after this phenomenon of Silicon Beach, what do we have to look forward to? Hopefully peace and, <laughs> and kind politics. Uh, I don't know. I think it's so environmentally driven in terms of what's going on in the world, not necessarily the weather, uh, that it's, it's hard to know. I mean, tech, technologically, I, I don't know. It's just, we'll probably just virtually appear somewhere, somewhere else, hopefully with your dog. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think, you know, great architecture is, is so dependent on how uh, the economy is doing. And we happen to have mm -hmm. an amazing economy right now. And, and uh, people, we're, you know, we're, we're constantly getting calls for newer and greater architecture. So I think we can expect some new and unique uh, pieces of architecture, um, you know, that, that will uh, stand the test of time. Knock on. I think one of the things like in the next five plus years that is really gonna revolutionize the way that we design buildings and space is the advent of autonomous vehicles and driverless cars. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we're really looking hard at. And, 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 and how do you design, you know, parking garages that, that later could be repurposed as office space or residential or or retail or something like that. Because if, if you take away the need for an individual to find a place to park their car, you've revolutionized the way that, mm -hmm. the way that, that we design Absolutely. cities and spaces. Um, and that's the thing, that we, that's the thing I think that will be the, the single, most, single biggest game changer in terms of the way that we, that we work as designers. I think the, the thing is we, we really don't know. And, and uh, I was doing an interview recently, and the interviewer said that architects and designers need to be futurist. Our, our job is to kind of guess what's going to happen in the future as we design how kids will learn in the future, how a community might go to church, how someone might use a living room and watch TV. We really don't know. Uh, I, I think uh, you're right, Chris. We have to always design with flexibility in mind, and that's about all we know, that things will change. Uh, so that puts us in the role of, of dreaming, of knowing that whatever we can come up with, whatever, whatever our clients come up with, they're, they're dreaming, they're dreaming big. Maybe it's cars, maybe it's houses that, that move around. Uh, maybe we wear glasses and memories are inserted into our brain. 
we just have to be prepared to, to accommodate everyone's dreams and visions, and, and that's kind of what architecture is all about. Well said. I think it's a fabulous panel, and I just want to thank you very much. Thank you, Jerry. Thank Convo by Design is proud to be working with Vendome Furniture. Design culture, it's the key to their success. It's what pushes them to consistently create new collections that give spaces a new dimension. They create dialogue between environment and form. Vendome pieces can transform the simplest space into one filled with glamour that is both unique and extraordinary. And isn't that what design is all about? Creating atmospheres where you can take hold of life and enjoy it to the fullest? Vendome products are simple and elegant, contemporary and exceptionally comfortable. Their crafted, modern, durable, molded resin, glass, and metal designs are unique and they beg to be enjoyed. They search the planet for the right designers that embody the Vendome spirit and work together to create remarkable pieces into an exclusively Vendome mode of expression. And if you haven't seen Vendome before, you can check them out in uh, some of the Convo by Design videos you'll find on our YouTube channel. But you can find them in their showrooms at the D&D Building in New York, Wynwood in Miami, and the Pacific Design Center here in L.A., or online at vondom.com.